Uh, reach for your Bible, please, and let's turn to First Timothy. Thank you, choir and orchestra. You're the best in the land, and we love you so very, very much, and for the way that you bless us in worship. First uh, Timothy, chapter five, and while you're turning there, I want to say thank you uh, to Pastor David. And to you, the church family, for allowing me to share the Word of God with you today, especially this day, on Mother's Day. Um, Over the last year, I've been in about 15 churches and teaching in college classrooms and spent much time with Amazon Vision Ministries that many of you have been a part of, my own mission work at various countries around the world, completed my academic work and certification for life and leadership coaching, and uh, next week we'll leave to teach pastors in Argentina, and then late August join a few members from Westside in the bush in the Congo. And so I want to say to you, church family, and I want you to hear me say this, I so appreciate your continued prayer. It has made all the difference for me as I have engaged ministry as uh, I have engaged the challenging journey of life, and as I have missed you. And so your prayer, remember all those years, prayer first, prayer first. And your prayer for me has been so very, very meaningful. Thank you much. And if you want updates, you can go to GaryCrawfordLeadership.com. And, um, and if you want updates, register, and I'll send them to you about once a month, okay? All right. You have the Bible in hand. Stand with me, please, in honor of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give Proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Father, um, imprint truth, love, and grace upon our minds and hearts from your word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God shall stand forever. Amen. Thank you. Well, the Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. He made Eve for Adam that he may have companionship. He established marriage between a man and a woman for life. He entrusted children to their care. Family home was designed to be a safe 
place, a healing place. And that is still God's design, and that is still his heart today. And some of you have experienced uh, long-term marriages and stable families across the years. In fact, is there anyone in the room that has been married 70-plus years? Would you stand or lift your hand, please? 70-plus years, anybody in the house? Okay. Right there, right there in the back. 70-plus years. Any 60 plus years in the house. There we go right here. And any 50 plus years. Well, amen. Let's celebrate all that God has done in their lives. Now, that that would be the desire of us all. Yet, we know the truth that not only are the lonely set in families, but there are lonely in families. It wasn't long before family fell on hard times. Adam and Eve, they sinned and they blamed one another. And apparently they taught at least two of their boys the same pattern. The first murder ever to occur was between two brothers. Abraham and Sarah, the father of our faith, he lied about his wife, put her in harm's way in disgrace. He fathered a child outside of his marriage and later abandoned the mother and the child. Later after Sarah's death, he remarried and experienced blended family. And then Abraham and Sarah, they gave birth to who? To who? Who? Isaac. They gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac had a marriage that you could have said was made in heaven. And then Isaac and Rebekah, they gave birth to who? Jacob and Esau. And the scripture says that Esau, I mean that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. How toxic is that? Jacob and Esau were at odds with one another. And it is told to us in Scripture that Esau had in mind to kill his brother because he stole his blessing. Then you look at Jacob's family. Jacob, he was deceived by his father-in-law into marrying Leah when he loved Rachel. And then as a dad, Jacob favored Joseph. That doesn't work. Esau, we are told, married outside of his faith and was, quote, a source of grief to his family. So even though God designed family as a safe place, a nurturing place, family fell on hard times early on. And what about the family of Jesus? Their marriage, his birth, was clouded with suspicion and with gossip. Can you imagine the hateful things that was said about Mary as the mother of Jesus? And in the end, Jesus couldn't even leave his mother in care of his brothers. But rather, he left her in the care of John, the cousin. How sad. 
God sets the lonely in families, but because of sin, there's loneliness in families. Families in our own culture have been devastated by undermining the authority of the Word of God, by no-fault divorce, by immorality, by abortion as a contraceptive, and in a less malignant way by the mobility of our world and the pressures of work and finances and career. Even when there's death of a spouse and in time remarriage, threat, loyalties are threatened and generally families take something of a different direction. My mom, she died age 34. I was 18, sister 12 and a sister 5. Family was never the same. As a pastor across the years, I've walked with so many spouses who've lost a spouse. Many of you. Family's never the same. I've walked as a widower now for seven years and other widowers during these same years. Life is never the same. And so you see, some of this is ringing true for you today. We, we have much to celebrate, but we carry much pain in our hearts because of the brokenness and our fallenness. And some of you, you, you did every effort you could, and yet now you find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be and that you couldn't imagine. But here's what I want to say to you. You're in the right place. You're in the right place because church, among other things, consists of fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen? You're in the right place because, among other things, church is a spiritual hospital where we bring our brokenness for healing. And Christ is here to meet us and to bring his healing to us. And I tell you, church family, brokenness, brokenness, we do everything we can to avoid brokenness of every kind. But brokenness is typically the place where there is personal transformation in our lives. Maybe that's why the psalmist said that God loves a broken and contrite heart. Because there, and often only there and then, do we listen to what God has to say. So the question is, how do we function as a healing family in the midst of brokenness? This passage tells us, first, we're to live our faith. It says, children... And grandchildren are to learn to practice their faith. How? By caring for parents and grandparents. How? By repaying them. Really? Repaying them. Why? Because this is pleasing to God. And then he says in verse 8, that if not, we deny the faith and we are worse than unbelievers. And this is historically true. On your study guide there, I mentioned to you 
what Demosthenes and Aristotle and Plato and E.K. Simpson had to say. And E.K. ends up saying a religious standard that falls below the standard of duty, duty recognized by the world is a wretched fraud. Yeah. You see, this is a word that we need to hear our culture needs to hear. One of the ways that we learn to practice our faith is by caring for our parents and our grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. And even when it means self-denial, this lesson must be learned. And since God looks on the heart when it's really pleasing to God, that means we're repaying That means we're caring for, providing for our parents and grandparents in a loving way with an attitude of love and gratitude and thanksgiving. Amen? I have a friend, he and um, his wife have one daughter, and um, his mother-in-law is still living. She's 94 years of age. A number of years ago, he made a decision about ministry that mother-in-law didn't like. For seven years, she wouldn't speak to her son-in-law. For seven years, he could not come to their home to celebrate any of the special occasions even. Seven years. Then his father-in-law died. Mother-in-law had kind of a change of mind, change of attitude, and accepted his help then, but never since has acknowledged wrongdoing or pain or an apology. However, my friend says this, and they're, they're still care- she lives alone, and they're still caring for her, and this is what he says. We're going to care for her and her needs until she's with the Lord, and then we'll do the things we have long wanted to do. Now, that's a rare but biblical attitude of caring for our family and one that is in line with the teaching that we have here. I know, many of you folks, I know that I've seen and how you walk with and care for our family under really difficult, adverse circumstances. One gentleman, wife, dementia, doesn't know him. And he said, she doesn't know me, but I know her. And he's still caring for her. Himself. Although... Assistance is required now. Second thing that makes for a healing family is to give honor. Uh, the text says to speak to family uh, as to the father, to an older man as to a father. That means to speak with honor. The word purity there in your text, although that includes sexual purity, that word is much deeper and much broader, and it carries the idea of thought, word, and deed, being pure in thought, word, and deed. And the word recognition underscores uh, honor. So this is consistent with all of Scripture. For example, in Leviticus, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect to the elderly, revere your God. 
Or in 1 Peter 5, 5, young men, submit to those who are older than you and clothe yourself with humility. Or as Paul the Apostle said, honor one another above yourselves. What a different kind of picture we get of honor in thought, word, and deed than what he says when he refers to those who live for pleasure in verse 6 and those who are gossips and busybodies in verse 13. And then he says, don't share in their sins, verse 22, but keep yourself pure. And then you remember that God said, I will honor those who honor me. And one of the ways that we honor God is by honoring one another. Why? Because as a believer, where is God? Where is God? Tell me. Where? That's right. That's right. You see, we cannot relate to one another without relating to God. So when we relate to one another with honor, we honor God. And he says, I will honor that. Honor makes for a healing family. That, too, is understood historically, and I've given you a couple of references there. Uh, It's been a while back. I was having lunch with Franklin Graham, and um, he was, I was asking him about some of the Graham team, George Beverly Shea, Cliff Barras. Both of them have been our guests here in years past. Those two have only recently deceased, by the way, and they have very interesting uh, family journeys of their own that you could benefit from researching and reading. But it wasn't long after that that I remembered um, what happened between the Graham family and Jim Baker. Now, how many of you remember Jim Baker of PTL? Okay, look. Most of you, okay? So Jim Baker, uh, he he did wrong financially in ministry. And as a result, he spent several years in prison. And then the time came for him to get out of prison. And um, Franklin called and said, Jim... We're going to provide you a place to stay in a car. And Jim said, you can't do that, Franklin. I have too much baggage. You can't be associated with me. He said, no, that's what we're going to do. So Jim Baker was released. The first night he was in a halfway house, Ruth called that halfway house and said, can can someone pick up Jim Baker tomorrow for church and they said yes someone picked him up on that Sunday they walked him down the aisle to the front of the church several other members of the Graham family were there and then as the music started Billy and Ruth walked out of the side door and walked down and sat right by Jim Baker Within 48 hours after Jim Baker was released from prison, the Graham family let the world know that they were loving him back into wholeness. That honors God. 
That's what Christ did for us. Amen? Amen. Didn't we all break God's law? Were we not all in the prison of sin? And through faith in the blood of Christ, he set us free. And and within the moment, the whole world knew that Jesus Christ came to sit down by us. You know, between my former pastorate and coming to Westside, there was a six-month period. I was studying for my doctorate, and I was speaking here and there. I would go to associational meetings, and I would notice pastors would be very cool toward me. I didn't understand that. Actually, I'm, I was still a novice in ministry. And one day, an old veteran pastor, he walked up to me, placed his hand on my shoulder. And I, he said, Gary, I see what you feel. Let me tell you something. A pastor without a church is always a threat, even when he's not. Okay? That imprinted me, and I said, Lord... When you give me a church to pastor, with your grace, it will be a church that will bring honor and be a place of refuge and safety for every one of your servants, pastor, staff, or whomever. So church family, you, I'm telling you, you have nurtured and cared for and loved back into wholeness. Pastors and staff, you know nothing about. It was just by your love and your caring for one another and for them. Thank you for that. We've had people who come, who have come to worship with the intention of taking their life so far down. Only for them to tell me after, the people, they cared. God spoke and they changed their mind. That's what honor does. That's what honor does. And that makes for a healing family. I was talking with my 90-year-old mother-in-law and 93-year-old, her sister, my aunt. And um, at the end of that conversation, she said, well, family's family. Oh, we love them warts and all. <laughs> now, my friend... Jesus loves you and me, warts and all. And if we're to love one another as he loved us, as he told us, we have to do the same honor. Now, related is kindness. Um, He says, don't rebuke an older man harshly. The principle is kindness and applies Um, It applies to both genders and all ages. It's rooted in God, of whom it is said that, that we are led to repentance by his kindness. Is a principle underscored in Scripture, clothe yourself with gentleness, or on another occasion, let your gentleness be evident to all. It is said of Florence Alishorn, who was a noted missionary, she said if she needed to, have a serious conversation with someone, she always did that with her arm around them. 
how that changes everything, doesn't it? My granddad and grandmother on my mother's side left a deep imprint on my life. He was teaching me to drive his pick-em-up truck when I was 10 years of age. It was during the summer. He grew tobacco. It was harvest season. We had, a, we had a barn full of tobacco, and those of you who are familiar, you'd understand it was cooking off. So he told me about 8 o'clock one night, he said, Gary, go check the thermometer on the barn. So I said, okay. So I went out, and the truck was parked in the corral. Now, the barn was only 100 yards, but there was the truck. So, yes, I get in the truck. And I drive over to the barn, I check the thermostat, I get back in, and I'm backing up, and I hear this screeching sound. And it's the fender of the truck connecting with a steel trailer all the way down the side of the truck. My heart started beating fast. I'm thinking I'm a dead boy. So I got back to the house, told Granddad. He said, we'll look at it in the morning. Mm, wonder what that means. <laughs> so the next morning, after breakfast, we walked out the lot together. And he looked at it, and I mean, it was a deep gash all the way down. He said, well, it's easier to fix a fender than a broken heart. That 10-year-old was relieved. Now, fast forward 50-plus years. I'm teaching my granddaughter to drive the pick-em-up truck and a pastor. You're getting ahead of me, aren't you? And we had to go through the gate, get back to the barn. She didn't quite make the turn right, and, and it just scraped that corner post all the way down the side of the truck. And I said, well, hon, back up. Let's try this again to get through this gate. And she was very apologetic, upset. But we backed up. We made it through the gate. There's a young man. He's married, but no children as of yet. He was sitting in the truck with me, and he said, he said well, now, I don't think that would have been my response if that had been my truck. So now stay with me. I said to that young man, it's easier to fix a fender than it is a broken heart. That's what kindness does in a family. Do you understand? You have kindness on the end of your tongue, on your lips. You have kindness in your hands. You have kindness in your look. And that makes for a healing family. Fourth, provide instruction. Verse 6, give people these instructions. That is, teach your family and the church. And we do our best teaching when it's creative and consistent, of course. I was looking at a plaque on the wall in the children's room in my home the other day. And it's a, it's a yellow page that's marked the... Um, Principles, positive principles to live by. 
And we developed that with our children, Chris and John, when they were just tots. Now the grown half family is on their own, and I still hadn't figured out what went wrong. <laughs> now, God so blessed us with John and Krista. Love them with all of my heart. I'm so proud of them. One way or the other, we need to teach these truths. But nothing will teach our children more than our own example. Let me tell you about Rebecca. She was 37. She fought cancer for 18 months, and it became clear outside of the intervention of God she was going to die. She wanted to teach her children, leave them some truth. That's what she did. She asked a friend to bring a tape recorder. She recorded messages to her three daughters, one for their first day of school, for their 16th birthday, for their baptism, and for their wedding. And she felt good about that. A few more weeks passed, and then it dawned on her, I need to make one more. So she called her friend, and she came over, and with microphone in her front of her lips, this is what she said. Someday, Dad will bring home a new mom. I want you to make her feel special. It will make me happy if you're kind to her while she learns to love you. Bring her dandelions and hug her often. Don't be sad for too long. Jesus cried. He knew how you feel, and he knows you will be happy again. I love you so much. Two days later, Mom died, leaving these messages to Ruth, Hannah, and Molly. Four years later, Dad, Warren, brought home a new wife. Not one to replace Mom, but a new wife that can love the children. And the children heard the very words of Mom. A mom's heart of sacrificial love. Now, teach these things. One other thing give forgiveness. Now, this is not stated in this text, it's assumed. Because of our nature, there's going to be misunderstanding, wrongdoing, and hurt. The only answer in the universe is forgiveness. There is no other answer. God knew that. But you see, there's a little boy sitting on a bench in the park with a very pained look on his face. And a man came by and said, son, what's wrong? He said, well, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. He said, well, why don't you get off of him? He said, because I think I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. I see that's the way, that's the choice we make sometimes, isn't it? We withhold thinking I'm hurting them more than they're hurting me. And the hurt for all can run deep. Here's the answer. The cross of Christ. Forgiveness. That's the only answer available to all of us. Bobby Welch, some of you know him. 
He was a decorated uh, veteran, um, ranger. He's a pastor emeritus. He was very active in leadership in our Florida Baptist Convention and our Southern Baptist Convention. Man, he's preached here on a few occasions. Had heard from him in a good long while. He called me recently. And in that conversation, he said, Gary, I was preaching at a church, and I heard a very sad story. He said, I had preached, and um, service was over, and I was standing down front here, and a gentleman came up to me, and he said, Pastor, the saddest thing ever happened right here where we're standing. Bobby said, what's that? He said, well, we had a brother and sister, the family in the church. Brother and sister got at odds with one another. The brother reached out on a number of occasions. The sister never responded. A few years passed, and the brother was in a fatal accident. He died, and the funeral was here. And on the day of the funeral, when he was here in the casket, the sister came up, and she put her arms around him in the casket, and she was screaming, forgive me, forgive me. And she tried to put her arms around him and lift him up out of the casket. And the attendants were concerned that it was going to topple, and so they rushed to care for her, finally got her settled down and seated. And then the, then the man said, Pastor, the saddest thing, she was asking a dead man to forgive her. And Bobby said, that made cold chills run up and down my spine, and mine too. I've been to many funerals where the bitterness and the unforgiveness has remained and brought to the funeral service. But I want to tell you something that's good news that makes Mother's Day a great Mother's Day and every day a great day. Here it is. We don't ask a dead man for forgiveness. We do not. We ask a living Savior. He was delivered over to death for our sin. Yes, a dead man. And he was raised to life for our salvation. We pray we ask forgiveness from a living Savior with a heart of love and compassion and who comes alongside of us no matter what. That's why we're here this morning, isn't it? Yeah. And he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from. Oh, it's a new day. Now, Paul also says in Romans 3.25 that God presents him, Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The atonement is the act by which God forgives our sins based on the blood of Jesus Christ. He was referring to the day of atonement. I'll close with this. He gives us a picture. In the Old Testament, there were two goats. The priests were standing in front of the tabernacle, two goats. One, one goat was offered as a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the people, right? 
foreshadowing the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then the second goat was brought to the priest, and he placed his hands on the head of the goat, and he confessed the sins of Israel over the goat. And then they led the goat out of the tabernacle, out of the city, into the wilderness where he disappeared and was never to be seen again. Symbolizing this, not only does the blood of Christ forgive us of our sins, he removes our sin from our lives. He removes them. That's the good news. And so, you see, when we are plagued by the shame of a confessed sin, we can look at the cross and say, that goat is gone. When the devil reminds us of harsh words that we have spoken and we've confessed that sin, we can say, that goat is gone. When we have failed to bring honor to our family, to our friends, and we have confessed it, we can say, that goat is gone. And you take the one thing that you still live with as a believer the most, that greatest regret, that greatest sense of guilt, that goat is gone. Say it with me. That goat is gone. Now, let me tell you how it works. So when God forgives you and me through confession, we begin healing. And then what happens is we can forgive ourselves The goat is gone. We're free. And then, what? Then we can forgive one another. Yeah. Forgive one another as in Christ God forgave. Yeah. Bear with one another's grievances and forgive one another as God has forgiven you. That's the healing family. In the midst of our brokenness. So I want to ask you to ask God, God, make me a healing person. God, make our family a healing family. God, make our church a healing church. And that's a prayer God can and will answer. Stand with me, please. Father, thank you for your love and forgiveness. Our church family, right there where you stand, if there's a sin that needs to be confessed, forgiven and removed, place it before the Lord. If a family or friend, you need to be a part of the healing process, make your decision to do so now. If you need Christ as your Savior, Receive him now. In Jesus' name.